How we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I would like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time tuning in, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for checking out the show. I really would love to hear what you think about it. I'd really love to hear back from you and to know what it is that, um, you know, the show does well, what it is that I could improve on, maybe a topic you're interested in, a guest you'd like to see on, um, really just about anything you'd like to reach out and tell me. I'd love to hear from you. So, you can do that in a few different ways. You can find me on social media at In Defense of Liberation on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can reach out to me on email. That is In Defense of Liberation at gmail.com with no caps or spaces in the username. So, uh, yeah, anyways, thanks for stopping by. Like I said, um, today we are going to talk about a topic which. I really only ever hit on, but uh, I would like to dedicate some serious time to, uh, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, this episode is going to be shorter than really it needs to be, just simply because of the time constraints which I have. Um, But I do want to try to give uh, real space to this discussion about, you know, the severity of the COVID-19 pandemic still to this day. Um, as well as the continued mishandling and disinterest by the ruling classes of the world, especially the capitalist and imperialist ruling classes, who have allowed for the death of almost 900,000 here in the United States. That is, of course, uh, almost 900,000 that we know of, as well as millions across the world. Um, So this is obviously a very important topic, a very big topic, which I plan to do multiple different episodes on. So a few things starting from the top. First and foremost, just to clear my conscience, I am not a medical professional. All of the information and advice that I might put forward in this episode is an opinion of a person who has read and studied to a very minimal extent for the sake of being able to have peace of mind and a general understanding of how to go about handling myself within this pandemic as well as trying to give advice and you know a somewhat uh, decent line of action for my family members and those around me who care to ask um, because unfortunately in my family and my personal circle in a lot of cases uh, I was one of the very first and the very few people to have taken this pandemic seriously this whole time now that really can stem from two places one and this is where I get a lot of my information and knowledge about viruses in general from Uh, One reason why that is, is because I was lucky enough to do a year of biology at my local college uh, from the 2019 fall semester through to the 2020 spring semester when we first went online. Um, And during that time, I, like I said, was a biology major. 
um, because I was uh, taken <laughs> advantage of by the ruse that exists here in the United States, which is the fact that a college degree and in a uh, field of interest might actually translate over to a viable degree, or excuse me, a viable career, which uh, will pay the bills, etc. Um, but I was very lucky because my biology professor at the time had actually lived through the SARS epidemic from the early 2010s in Toronto while she was doing her PhD. Um, And uh, because of that, she kind of scrapped just about everything else we were learning because she realized uh, way sooner than honestly anyone else in my life, anyone else that I really knew, even on Twitter, uh, was taking it seriously. Uh, she was taking it seriously. So that was really cool. I'm very grateful for her. Uh, Shout out Professor Enders. Uh, She actually recently got back to me about doing a possible teaching, and she sent me some materials on the uh, kind of nature of a virus, the nature of uh, SARS and coronaviruses, as well as kind of how uh, vaccines, uh, isolation, and other attempts to slow the spread uh, work and or don't work. Um, So I'm excited for that. The second reason why I uh, took it a little bit more seriously than most is, you know, something I don't necessarily really need to talk about, but I think, you know, it it definitely did play a role, uh, which is my fact, my, my, you know, really gripping fear of sickness uh, as well as of death. Um, I, I can understand where the death one comes from. I was raised very strict evangelical Protestant. So the idea of death basically to me means hell. And, you know, when you're a seven-year-old thinking you're going to be burned alive and tortured for eternity, uh, if you don't pray or believe in God the way you're supposed to, then that does lead to some trauma responses, believe it or not. But uh, the whole sickness one, I don't know where the fuck that came from, but I'll tell you what, for myself, uh, COVID was probably quite possibly the worst fucking thing that could have happened in my lifetime. Uh, at least in the sense of, like, playing on one of my biggest fears. Uh, Obviously, this situation, I am speaking to you right now with two vaccines and a booster shot, uh, as well as a job, a running car, and food in my stomach, so I'm much better off than most. But even still, the whole idea of the pandemic continuing is uh, genuinely death-defyingly terrifying to me. So that's really why it's such a, you know, uh, a prominent uh, issue for especially my mental health, right? But uh, all of that kind of aside, uh, I also took it very seriously because, again, the precedent was set for me by my biology teacher that this is something that we need to take seriously. So I really wanted to hit on a few things which I think are important to discuss surrounding the virus, surrounding the pandemic in general, as a kind of 101 overview of the subject matter, But uh, I plan on doing a more in-depth episode about things like vaccine apartheid, which we will uh, hit on here at some point, as well as the, uh, you know, deteriorating and intensifying effects that this pandemic had on already uh, exploited and oppressed people, not only here on Turtle Island, but especially around the world and in the global south. So be on the lookout for those episodes. Uh, But now that I kind of got that all out of the way, we're going to lead 
into this conversation by starting off on the analysis of the nature of a vaccine. Now, what I mean by that really is, or excuse me, the nature of a virus. Really what I mean by this is, you know, why does a virus do what it does? Where does it come from? What's its purpose, you know? Because most things in nature, most things in our environment serve a role. You know, we all learned about the food chain. Well, that kind of like uh, logical necessity for existence exists in just about all fields of nature and natural sciences. So uh, a lot of the things which uh, do exist, and that includes viruses, they serve a role. They play a part. They have a purpose. It's not like they just happen for accident's sake and uh, they may or may not be sponged out, but ultimately it has no effect on the surrounding environment. Of course, as we know, viruses most definitely have a incredibly enormous effect on the surrounding environments. And so it's important that we understand what a virus actually is, uh, how it does what it does, uh, how it really stays alive, uh, mutates, and uh, what, uh, you know, different viruses cause. So a virus is a living organism, right? I think a lot of us um, would do well to kind of really solidify that fact in our mind. Uh, a virus is an actively, uh, you know, surviving being. And that's really its goal. That's the goal of all, uh, you know, alive things, right? It oftentimes is to find ways to stay alive. So a virus itself can only really live uh, for a certain period of time. The only way that it's able to further perpetuate that uh, longevity is through attaching itself to a host. So now, of course, we uh, might have heard of different types of relationships like symbiotic relationships. This is a pest relationship, meaning that the virus itself uses the host, whether that be a plant, a other organism, an animal, or a human, uh, the virus uses that host as its life force. It uses it also to uh, regenerate and reproduce itself. So as we know um, now, viruses require uh, a host to stay alive, which means that if a virus really wants to survive, right, it really wants to thrive, it really wants to extend its life, what's one of the most important things that it can do? It can infect a lot of people. Because if a virus is able to infect a lot of people, nine times out of the ten, it just doubled, tripled, quadrupled or in the sense of the Delta and Omicron variant, multiplied its life by 10 or 15 times. Because now, for every one person infected, that virus is able to infect that many more. So how does it reproduce itself? How does it regenerate itself? Well, ultimately, the virus takes hold of the host's immune system. Within the immune system, you have a lot of different active, uh, you know, structures and systems, if we want to envision them like that. Mechanics happening. 
a lot of different bells and whistles going on in the old uh, flesherino. But really, the purpose of taking hold of the immune system is for, again, the purpose of reproduction. Now, before we go into that, it would do us well to understand at this moment how viruses are fought. So when a virus tries to take hold of the host, right, it ultimately tries to slip by what we might consider security. That security is what we hear commonly called antibodies. Now, antibodies' entire purpose for existence is a removal of foreign uh, bodies, beings, and organisms uh, which are harmful to the body uh, or the organism, whether that be, you know, a human or an animal one. Um, And, uh, you know, ultimately rid the body of this invading organism or, you know, uh, whatever. So a good way that I would, you know, like to understand it is uh, ultimately this uh, antibody's goal is to be able to recognize the invading bodies uh, as soon as possible. So when antibodies are standing at the line, right, we can kind of imagine that it's got, you know, a bunch of wanted signs posted up and uh, it's got these different pictures, right? And uh, another analogy that'll help us here is, uh, do you remember the toy when you were a kid that it had the different shapes on it? You know, it had triangles, it had stars, it had a trapezoid. And you try to get the piece in so that it fits through the slot. Basically, an antibody's goal is to see the star and recognize the star before the star can make it into the star slot. Because, of course, different viruses invade and infect different parts of the body. But as soon as, you know, a virus enters your airway or your bloodstream or uh, however else it's able to uh, get within your system, the deeper it makes it, the longer it's in your body, the more likely that there will be uh, dangerous or even deadly symptoms. Because again, the antibody's goal is to get the thing out of your system. And your body is trying to do the same thing. Uh, That's why it develops the antibodies. And so things like coughing, sneezing, throwing up, not to be gross, but we're having this episode, so I'm going to say it anyways, but things like diarrhea, all of that is your body's attempt to get this foreign, you know, thing out of it because it's leading to negative effects. Um... But ultimately, if that virus is able to latch itself on, it can lead to things like fever, uh, heart failure, lung failure, because it really hijacks the mainframe and draws uh, energy, draws strength from the other parts of your body that require them. So now that we kind of got that out of the way, we'll jump back to this idea of how does a 
virus reproduce itself. So again, we're talking about the immune system. The immune system is where antibodies are built, right? And this is another place where you can imagine the analogy of the star and the triangle toy because if, you know, if the star as the virus in this analogy's uh, intention is to make it into the star slot, the antibody might also do well to convince the uh, virus, the star, that it is a star slot. So when the antibody develops itself, it develops itself in a way that will draw the virus towards it in order to kill it, right? Well, the virus, once it makes it past those antibodies, once it makes it and latches latches itself on to the host, it hijacks the factory where the, uh, you know, star antibodies are being made and switches the script over to making star viruses. Now it begins to reproduce itself. Now, one of the most important things that we can mention here is the fact that When a virus uses a host's immune system in order to reproduce itself, it ultimately ultimately also uh, uh, absorbs, in some sense, although I'm sure that's not the scientifically scientifically correct term, but it ultimately absorbs uh, part of the host's DNA, therefore leading to small mutations and variations of the reproduced version of the virus. Does this make sense to everyone? I hope so. So now let me just take a a second to check my notes to make sure we're, you know, really hitting on everything in these given topics because I want to make sure I cover this all. So now it's important to understand there's multiple different types of viruses, right? Coronavirus or SARS. These are types of viruses. The common cold is technically a coronavirus. I believe, although I wish you wouldn't quote me, that there are alpha, beta, and coronaviruses. But this kind of gets murky because then when we talk about variants, you hear delta and omicron, or in some cases you hear it called omicron. I'm not quite sure what the actual uh, variant's name is to be. 100 fucking percent honest with you. I don't know if it's Omicron or Omicron or whatever. But uh, this is an important thing also to note because when you think about uh, a lot of people's complaint being the fact that, oh, I'm not going to take this vaccine because it was rushed out. There's no way to know that they, you know, really knew the science. They really rushed this out. Well, for the last few decades, now count that, decades. Uh, Different types of SARS epidemics, different types of coronavirus outbreaks have happened. Because again, these are types of naturally existing viruses, which through, you know, a process of mutation, infection, reproduction, and mutation again, ultimately can jump from, uh, you know, we know from the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic, it can jump from the Uh, you know, more uh, animal-like, quote-unquote, kingdom to human beings, which uh, otherwise wouldn't have been able to uh, contract the virus up until a certain point of its own mutation. 
So because this was the case, because, you know, different epidemics were happening all over the world and uh, a lot of them had a very similar uh, genetic makeup or biological makeup, um, the scientific community internationally has been able to develop different vaccines as a base, right? As like, uh, this would defend against most coronaviruses or this would defend against most SARS-type uh, diseases, right? So that when pandemics and epidemics do happen, because due to our international system of trade, travel, and transportation, epidemics and pandemics do occur quite frequently. We just aren't always affected by them because we are often vaccinated for them here in the West and especially on Turtle Island. But anyways, I digress. My point being that the vaccine was able to be developed quickly because these bases already existed, right? So now let me just glance at my notes again. So yeah, again, we hit on the fact that a sickness and an illness is your body's attempt to try to kill and expel the virus from you. Um, There are plenty of historical examples to show that Uh, these types of viruses can pose quite the threat if not handled correctly. Um, We talked about uh, why the vaccine was made so quickly. We talked about the use of the DNA factory. Um, But now let's talk about contagion, right? How contagious a virus can be. Where do I start with this? So really the way that I've, uh, you know, obviously a virus's whole goal is to stay alive. So it wants to infect as many people as it can. Certain viruses are more contagious than others simply because of their makeup, right? Kind of like some people are good at basketball and sports and other kinds of athletics naturally. And some people are better at, you know, uh, mathematics and uh, literature and language and things of that nature. Some people are really good at, you know, cooking food and uh, stuff, growing food. And other people are good at other things. Well, some viruses infect more people than others. There you go. There's some science for you. Isn't it cool how sometimes things just make sense? You should know that that was kind of sarcasm. Anyways, uh, so the original uh, COVID-19 virus uh, had an infection rate between 3 and 5 I remember correctly, the uh, Delta variant has an infection rate between 8 and 13. And I believe the Omicron variant has an infection rate of 13 plus. So basically that means for every one person infected, that person, just by being in the same space, breathing the same air, uh, can infect more than 13 other people. Whereas with uh, the original virus, uh, you could only infect anywhere between three and five before the virus would uh, really stretch itself thin and need to continue reproducing itself to infect more and more and more. The reason why I bring this up is because the CDC just recently brought its isolation time after a positive coronavirus test result down to five fucking days. Now, I would like to say quite clearly, and hear me well, this is not because it is safe. This is not because after five days, you do not pose a threat to yourself and those around you. This is not because after five days, you are effectively not contagious. This is because right now we are seeing some of the highest surges in numbers of the COVID uh, pandemic since the beginning 
of the uh, COVID-19 situation. And so because of that, so many fucking... We're in the middle of the holiday season as well. So many fucking people are sick that half of the economy for this reason as well as the fact that they don't want to pay so people are quitting at an all-time high rate, there's nobody working. So if we are going to expect that, you know... uh, We're going to want everyone who gets sick to be isolated for two weeks. Places will have to close down. They don't want to do that. Governors just had a meeting recently with Biden after he said that there will be no uh, federal uh, uh, structure, system, or policy put in place to handle this pandemic. And it will, in fact, be handled at the state level which is an absolute joke because that's ultimately what Trump was doing, just not in so many words, um, which was clearly pointed out in an episode of By Any Means Necessary that was recently posted. Please go check that out. But uh, the contagiousness of a virus obviously is what really poses the danger, right? So how do we handle something like that? How do we handle the contagiousness of a virus? Well, right now, a majority of the world, especially the Western powers, are telling us that all we need is a vaccine, right? You get your vaccine, you get your booster, you can go back to work, you can go to the mall, you can take your mask off, except not anymore, except maybe after the 15th, except maybe not, depending on the state's own, you know, uh, decision, because obviously we're not doing anything federally. Thanks, Biden and uh, both the Democratic and Republican parties. Anyways... This obviously isn't the case. I mean, more than 60%, believe it or not, more than 60% of the U.S. population has both of their vaccines. Now, to put that in, uh, you know, real perspective, less than 5% of Africa has a single vaccine. That is what we call vaccine apartheid. But anyways, this is true that more than 60% of the United States population has at least one, if not both, of its vaccines. And yet, almost 900,000 people have died, millions have been affected, millions have been infected, and millions are going to be infected in the next upcoming weeks as, uh, you know, all the holiday season, the new year is ongoing, people are traveling, visiting their loved ones, their relatives... You know, this is a dangerous, dangerous time, and it's going to get 10 to a million times worse. Just you watch. I hate to tell you. But anyways, isolation and containment, two of the most important points to any uh, viruses, uh, you know, seizing of infection. I put that weirdly, but you know what I mean. In Wuhan, right, where the original outbreak really began, they shut that shit down in two days. In two fucking days. Listen to this. In 48 hours, an entire fucking hospital was built and staffed. That is the power of a planned economy. But anyways, lockdown, isolation, containment. Combined with vaccines an applicable healthcare system, a properly organized social structure, and an egalitarian system 
are all required. And again, hear me clearly. These are all required. If we expect the pandemic to end, let me put this out there for you. The Black Plague still kills people today. Do you want to know why? Because at the time, and still to this day, the systems and structures that needed to be in place, the knowledge and availability of resources and health care as well as health services are not readily available to the majority of people on this planet. Therefore, viruses that have been around for hundreds of years are able to still infect and spread thousands of people a year because nobody fucking cares enough to do anything about it. None of the ruling class wants to designate and dedicate its own resources, wealth, and power to anything other than a continuation and a further uh, perpetuation of not only their own wealth and power, but a system based on the ownership and private uh, uh, accumulation of wealth and power. So I would say in closing out here, because again, this is a 101 episode. These are some of my broadest ideas. So you let me know what you think and we'll hopefully get going on uh, episode number two. But if you look at examples of the state of Kerala in India, especially, always, always be paying attention to Kerala. If you look also at countries like Vietnam, China, uh, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, uh, Bolivia, and other countries with planned economies and socialist uh, structures, you see a completely different response to this pandemic. And that is because, very simply put, the capitalist response has been to put profits in front of people. Whereas the socialist response, as always, is to put the people far above profits. If we want to see the changes happening that we require in order not only to stop this pandemic, but also to eliminate the inequality and the inefficiencies of a system which has existed for far too long and has exploited and oppressed far too many people to be allowed to continue the capitalist and imperialist system that we all know and should hate equally, this cannot be allowed to continue. This cannot be allowed to keep existing. Capitalism and imperialism, as well as the subsequent systems of patriarchy, of uh, sexual oppression, of racial, ethnic, and national uh, oppression, all of these things have to be taken on in a forward facing attack. It cannot be an appeasement. It cannot be a half-baked or half-witted attempt at solving these issues through subsequent or superstructural issues. It has to be a full frontal assault on the systems known as capitalism, imperialism, settler colonialism, and their offspring. 
this and only this can be the way in which all of the issues which we speak of very commonly as well as the ones we are speaking of today can be impacted. And as we know and discuss quite clearly, it's in our intro, it's in our name, liberation, true proletarian revolution is the only solution to the system and its subsequent consequences. Egalitarianism is only possible through proletarian dictatorship. Proletarian dictatorship is only possible through violent revolution and suppression of the former ruling class powers by the entire proletariat class itself as a dictatorship through the process that we now know as socialism, but which was originally called the first stage of communism. All of this must be clearly understood if we are to actually be able to change the material conditions we live in today, because that is the goal of the communist of the socialist, of the revolutionary, to change the material conditions which are oppressing and exploiting the masses of people today. So before I go, I want to make sure that I have covered absolutely everything that I wanted to. Um, So... Another thing I really wanted to hit on is this virus was going to be used or attempted was attempted to be used as a way to eliminate the uh, lives of people in the global south. But uh, unlike the capitalist system expected, uh, these folks really aren't dying at the rates uh, that they expected. Now, of course, exploited and oppressed people in the global south are dying at phenomenal and unprecedented rates. But uh, for the capitalist class... It is not what they expected nor really wanted. Um, So obviously this pandemic is just, you know, there's a lot of issues that are coming out of it. Economic inequality, joblessness, homelessness, etc. These are all intensifications of pre-existing conditions. We must know this. Capitalism created the stage, the uh, base work to really fueling the uh, uh, pandemic, really giving it the dry uh, and uh, desolate landscape to burn uh, up. But uh, yeah, this is this is really clear to understand that this is ultimately just an intensification of pre-existing conditions. But uh, the last thing I really want to point out before I go is the fact that obviously what we really need to do is we need to get organized. We need to figure out what's wrong, figure out what the people in our communities need and how to meet it. We have to meet with those who feel the same, who want to do something about the situation we find ourselves in. Um, We have to also uh, reinvigorate this ideology of essential workers, because at one point we were really starting to begin valued at some, you know, really uh, posturing and uh, liberal uh, way. But even still, you know, they were calling us essential workers. What happened to that? Healthcare workers in Turkey, in Asia, here in the United States as well, right up here in Buffalo by me, are having to go on strike to get paid decent wages. They're having to go on strike because there's no PPE for them. They're having to wear garbage bags and plastic bags over their face. They're going on strike because ultimately they're being left to die at the front of this pandemic. You know, something like 
500 to 700 healthcare workers to this point have died at the front lines of the pandemic in Turkey. And this specifically I'm mentioning because it was an episode of Give the People What They Want, where they mentioned that uh, these healthcare workers are walking out and did an entire march uh, to Istanbul known as the uh, March of, I think it was the White March. But that, uh, let me point out because Turkey, you know, you really do want to stress uh, when you're talking about Turkey, the, the nature of what's happening. But it was called that because of the white coats they were wearing as doctors and nurses. But anyways, obviously, as Kerala and other places show us, like Cuba, the only way that we can actually solve this problem is together. Through solidarity, through unity, through organization, and through an elimination of the ruling class and its interests from the uh, seat of control. Uh, only this is going to be able to give the people what they need. So let us do this. Let us build that now and let us really get going, my friends. Uh, but anyways, if you're still listening to this, thank you so much. I hope you are well, stay safe, stay revolutionary, stay healthy, get tested, get a vaccine, stay at home. If you can, uh, do some teach-ins, uh, ask me if you need the sources for the information that I've put forward, as well as the slides that my teacher sent me. Uh, please also, uh, before I go, check out newsclick.in, which is where I've gotten a majority of my information about the pandemic since the beginning. And hopefully uh, I will note that quite possibly in the future, I have reached out to the co-founder of NewsClick and I'm hoping to hear back because I would like them to come on to discuss the pandemic because they have been one of the leading voices which I have learned from throughout this time. So uh, yeah, thank you for listening. We will catch you next time. And anyways, uh, stay revolutionary, folks. Uh, Keep on fighting. We'll see you next time. Peace.